You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Kentucky Podcast. We bring you info and insights on UK football and basketball. Stay informed by making us part of your daily routine. Listen and follow for free on Apple or Google Podcast. Simply subscribe to Locked On Kentucky. I'm Dan Reefer with Fox 56 along with Kyle Tucker of The Athletic. And today's episode of Locked On Kentucky is brought to you by Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market. Remember to use promo code Locked On. For $10 off your first order at BuiltBar.com. Monday was not uneventful, has not been uneventful start to the week, uh, May 18th. Uh, You know, some some minor stuff. Uh, Rivals put out their final rankings for the 2020 class. So, you know, that's something to discuss. Then uh, you had a great article where you had talked to Keon Brooks Sr. Really good stuff there. Uh, Coach Cal had his guest uh, this morning on Coffee with Cal. And then there was the cheerleading scandal. The University of Kentucky announced that it has fired its head coach and three uh, assistant coaches, the entire coaching staff for the cheerleading squad. Uh, the one that has won, uh, is it 34 national championships? Something like that. No, I think it's 23. 26. 20. Uh, it's a lot. It's in the uh, 20s. I, I've got it in the release here. I just have to look at it again. But um, and then also the uh, administrator, uh, counsel, you know, as a lawyer, a university lawyer, who had kind of overseen things uh, for the program since 1978. Twenty-four national championships in 35 years. Twenty-four national championships in 35 years. Uh, and you know, and then this person, uh, resigned after he found out the investigation was happening. But, uh, you know, when I saw that they fired the entire staff, that's the headline. That's, you know, that's what catches your eye. And you're like, Ooh, what happened? Well, uh, it wasn't nearly as shocking as I thought it was going to be. I thought that there would be something just really bad and not that, you know, not that what they did was, wasn't, you know, a bit risque, but they're college kids. And so you are talking about college kids uh, being nude. So college kids showing off their um, their tops and bottoms for parts of the traditions that go on. Uh, and then you're talking about some drinking. So that kind of seems like, you know your normal sorority fraternity type stuff. And I mean, being a member of the cheerleading team might as well be that. Um, I I guess I I don't want to completely downplay it because I do understand that uh, there are definitely some parents who wouldn't like that. And then if you took the UK basketball team and then like put them in that situation, like the things that were done by the cheerleaders, I mean, that's the, that's the issue is it's a it's not an NCAA sport but it is a university sanctioned thing i mean they celebrate that program you know they have them perform at basketball games they uh hang their banners at Rupp Arena for those 24 national titles there's a lot of right. pride in that and 
I think the biggest issue to me, like this, none of this is surprising or shocking or like really very offensive to me. Like, Oh, college kids uh, were out drinking together as a team and there was nudity. (laughs) I mean, yeah, not shocking, but I think the and none of it forced. By the way, I mean the investigation yeah. doesn't say that anything was forced. No, no yeah, sexual harassment. There were harassment. some there, there were some more lurid accusations that the there. I guess their investigation found to be baseless. But mm-hmm. um, right, you know what they identified as issues were the things we talked about. I, the problem the problem is, I would say that the coaching. I think one of the things said that you know some of the stuff that was going on. It was like a team retreat on university property a campground that belongs to the university uh you know a a team university event gathering alumni showed up with boats and booze coaches allowed it and and some of this was happening within view of the coaches Um, right and so i mean if you apply that to any other sport it would be a huge scandal you know if you had if you had mark stoops throwing a party at the lake and a bunch of the NFL guys came back and in on speedboats with their with you know a bunch of booze and naked mm-hmm. there was naked you know shenanigans right it would be a big scandal or if it was yes, it would you be. know Calipari and the basketball team because you can, I mean if, if you if somebody said coach Cal was there <laughs> watching this happen and didn't do right. anything or his assistant coaches it would be a big mm. problem. And so for that it reason, it's a problem. I mean, I get that. I guess part of, one thing that's hard to kind of reconcile is you're, you're blowtorching, <laughs> flamethrowing your, one of your you know, prestige sort of things as a university yeah. programs um, for activities that are pretty much basic college student activities. Um, there was some other stuff though, it was, you know, about, you know, conflicts of interests and one of the coaches uh having some of his, some of the athletes do work at his home uh, stuff like that. So I I you know and and I think some coaching camps and stuff that they were um having well, these... working for them at their gymnasium, at their gymnastics right. place. Um Yeah, so I don't know I, I don't know all the sort of all the um ethical dilemmas presented by that stuff. But bottom line is they have effectively just blown up. Uh, I mean, the most successful single program probably that Kentucky has period. You know, if you just look at well, 24 national titles and 35 seasons. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, just that, you know, what program do we have where we're the best in the country almost at an, on an almost uh, annual basis. There's not, there's not one that Kentucky can claim, uh, more so than this cheerleading program. And and it is also interesting. I mean, I saw some people tweeting, well, this all seemed to be fine until they didn't win uh, because they had won many titles. They had won, uh, I mean, at one point they won 87, 88. uh, No, sorry, starting in 95, they won 95, 96, 97, 98, 99, 2000, 2001, and 2002, all in a row. Then they, they got upset. Uh, then they won three in a row, and then eight, nine, ten in a row, and then yeah. uh, 16, 17, 18, 19 in a row. Uh, and I think they finished third or fourth this year in a little bit of an upset. So uh, I don't think it had anything to do with that. It sounds like no. somebody sounded the alarm. There were some concerned parents 
who brought right. this to the school's attention. I think they said it was a three-month investigation. Right, um, started in February. So, so they took this seriously, and um, now they've cleaned house. Uh, all, all the coaches are gone. Um, it seems like a lot of the UK cheerleaders and alumni cheerleaders are, are upset about this, mm-hmm. but I don't know if – I don't know if there's like anything else they could have done when something like this comes to light. Once you know this happened again, apply it to any other sport, even though the behavior doesn't necessarily uh, offend me or shock me. um, You know, there was no, no allegations or there were no findings of sexual misconduct, just college kids throwing each other around nude (laughs) into the lake. Right. Uh, But if you apply that to any other team on campus, I think you'd have to – there'd be major consequences for that staff. So I, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything else Kentucky could have done once somebody brought it forward. Right. Well, we got a little bit more on this because there's some interesting tweets that came out of this. And uh, we'll, we'll discuss it a little bit more as well as talk about uh, Keon Brooks and also the Rivals' final rankings for the class of 2020 when the Locked On Kentucky podcast continues. I want to tell you about this protein bar I recently discovered. It's called Built Bar. The first time I tried it, I swear I thought I was eating a candy bar. It's so good. Uh, it's not chalky like so many other protein bars I've had. Uh, almost like, you know, if you get a box of chocolates, it's it's like a one little piece of those chocolates, those chewy chocolates. It's kind of like that. Uh, they are all covered in chocolate, 100% real chocolate. Built Bar has 16 flavors. Eight of them include nuts. The other eight flavors don't and are produced in nut-free facilities. So if you have a nut allergy, don't worry about it. Built Bar is super healthy as well. You're on the go. You need something to tide you over. High protein, high fiber, but low calorie, low sugar, low carbs. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first order at BuiltBar.com. are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. All right, so we're back here on Locked On Kentucky, and we're talking about the uh, cheerleader, I guess if you want to call it a scandal, uh, at UK. But uh, yeah, when a, uh, a school program that has won 24 national championships in 35 seasons uh, fires its entire coaching staff, and someone who's been with the program since 1978 resigns, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a big deal. Uh, so... Reese Phillips and Nick Haynes, who both played football at UK. And and as we were making the point earlier, if you take this and put it, you know, Mark Stoops, uh, let's say, uh, you know, let's say uh, Darren Henshaw has a quarterback's retreat and just takes the quarterbacks out or it's just the backfield or whatever. And these players go to the lake and there's nudity and drinking and within view of the coaches. Yes, it would be a problem. Uh, so, Anyway, the football players, Reese Phillips says, all the cheerleaders were the wildest, all caps, on campus by far. Nick Haynes, former UK offensive lineman. Reese Phillips, of course, played quarterback at Kentucky. Uh, And he was back when Randy Sanders was the offensive coordinator. Reese Phillips was at UK. And then he transferred. Um, Nick Haynes was an offensive lineman. You may remember him. He had, uh, uh, I think, a was it diabetes where he had a hard time keeping his weight? Um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, Nick Haynes agreed and said by far. And then Reese Phillips says we would, or Nick Haynes says the stuff we did, I will never tell. Reese Phillips said never to my grave. It goes. So that gives you an idea 
of uh of the reputation going back beyond just the this what they're looking into happened in mid-July and in August of last year. That's what this investigation looked into. And the cheerleading squad has 54 members plus coaches. Uh, so they interviewed like 60 people with the cheerleading squad. And it was just about uh, last July's um, cheerleading camp in Tennessee and last August's retreat at Lake Cumberland. But this Lake Cumberland retreat is an annual thing. And so it sounds like this stuff has been going on for a long time. Like this this uh, particular song or chant or whatever they had to do to recite was kind of a initiation thing. They described it as like uh, they go to the cheerleading camp and like the freshmen have to get up in front of older uh, members of the cheerleading squad and recite this very sexually explicit song or chant or something, but that was written in the seventies. Like members of the cheerleading team wrote that thing in the seventies. So it's kind of like a tradition. Um, <laughs> but uh, that, that culture uh, was defended by a couple of cheerleaders on Twitter where they said, don't feed into the lies, you know, it's the epitome of professionalism the truth is it takes one parent, one parent that doesn't like the stories their son or daughter has told them. And once they hear it and are outraged and they take it to the university, then they have this happen. And, you know, Mitch Barnhart, UK athletics, Mitch Barnhart's not over the cheerleading squad, like not over that department's not part of UK athletics. I guess now they're bringing it into UK athletics to give it the proper oversight. Uh, but like we said, Kyle, if this has happened with any other uh, program within UK athletics, uh, people would be outraged. Uh, it seems like because it's the cheerleading squad, it doesn't seem like um, so much outrage because they've been successful and uh, nobody's been forced to do anything and no laws were necessarily broken. I mean, there's probably some underage drinking, uh, going on, you would think. Uh, but, uh, just, it was just kind of amazing to read it all this today. Yeah. To me, like one of the, one of the big issues is, um, or, or one of the big takeaways here is if you, if you're a coach or coaching staff and you've put all these years and time and effort and, blood, sweat, tears, heart into building your reputation, the program's reputation, uh, this powerhouse thing that you're, you know, is, you know, the source of great pride in your life. Don't risk it to be cool, just to be cool with your af- athletes. Like, yeah. Hey, yeah, we're going to, we're going to let you do this. Cause I want you to think I'm cool. Um, I mean, cause if these, if these, cheerleaders had been doing this at a party that was like thrown by themselves mm-hmm. uh, at one of their apartments, you know, like them doing this stuff is not crazy or, you know, all that unusual as we've said, but it's the, the idea that essentially the coaches are signing off on it by doing, by allowing it at official team functions. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy. Like I wouldn't have that. I actually wouldn't have that much different reaction if it was, 
the basketball team or the football team. Like I would go, of course they're getting drunk and naked. <laughs> like, of course, of course they are. So is everybody else on campus. But the coaches being there and essentially sanctioning it is a problem. Um, yeah. So just don't like, don't risk it. Don't don't try so hard to be cool with your athletes that you risk everything. I mean, everything now, now everything that those coaches build is over, uh, yeah. including their reputation. And it opens, and it also just opens the door for people to, to make even more lurid ac- accusations um, or jump to conclusions about what was going on there. And, and just it's to me, I don't see how in any way it's worth risking everything just to throw a cool party. I, I don't, I don't, I get that the college kids want to do it. I did, but that the yeah. adults in the room were like, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> it's is probably the most startling thing about it. The other thing that it, it brought up that um, I, w- I was thinking about it and it seemed so natural a fit was like that uh, some of the cheerleaders were getting paid to do work uh, for the, uh, some of the coaches in, in the private sector. And then um, I guess the, uh, the lawyer, who's kind of like the administrator of the program or whatever, he would have some of the cheerleaders uh, do yard work and different, you know, odd jobs for him where he would, I think he said he paid him like $15 an hour. And then the gym was owned by the head coach. And then one of the assistant coaches was an employee of his at the gym. And then I guess some of the cheerleaders had worked at, at at this gym or another gym that was run by an assistant coach. And so you think about that and you're like, well, yeah, if I'm going to have some yard work done, why wouldn't I ask one of the cheerleaders on the team? Like just if you're in high school uh, and your football team and you need somebody to mow your yard and this kid's looking to make a, you know, a few bucks like, yeah, coach, I'll mow your yard. That That's who, you know, uh, or, if you're running a, um, I don't know, a gym and you're lifting weights and one of the kids needs a part-time job to be a trainer or just around the gym. Yeah. You would hire them. You know what I mean? It's natural, yeah. but yeah. it would be, if you would allow that to happen in NCAA, uh, program, if you let that to happen in other programs, like for instance, uh, Stoops needed some yard work or, or, you know, whatever, little jobs like that, it would be abused. They would find a way to abuse it to where you're paid $500 to mow a yard or, I mean, you know, you just couldn't do it because it would be abused. Some of the big programs would find a way uh, to be like, hey, we have a, uh, you know, a coach who owns a couple businesses and they get paid really good salaries to do part-time work over there. So I, I get where that is a conflict of interest there too. And you, you, I mean, again, take it and put it uh, at the UK basketball program. Just take the same scenario and put it there where if uh, John Robick had a job for somebody or Tony Barbie had uh, employees at his gym or something that were, you know, UK basketball players, then it would be seen as a, a bigger deal. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I, that, that's kind of where I stand right now on all of it is uh, my first reaction was like, eh. But um, when, it, when I apply it that way, I kind of – I don't know what else you could do. I just – I don't know what else yeah. the administration could do but, but say, uh, got a clean house. 
All right, as we go to break here, we'll just quickly uh, look at the Rivals' final rankings, class of 2020. And I think the 24-7 sports final rankings came out last week or the week before, uh, and Kentucky had two top 10 players. And B.J. Boston had gone up into the top five, and Terrence Clark had fallen out of the top five, but he was still in the top 10. So two top 10 players. And the Rivals' final rankings also reflect the same. B.J. Boston, number four. uh, Terrence Clark, number seven. So two top 10 players, Isaiah Jackson, 26, Devin Askew, 31, Lance Ware, 34, Cameron Fletcher, 46. So Kentucky's class of six incoming freshmen, all in the rivals top 50. Not too bad. No, no. I mean, when you, when you, um, when you look at those six guys, you know, six top fifty, depending. I mean, depending on what ranking you you buy, top fifty, top sixty. I think uniformly across the board, all six are I think considered at least top sixty uh, by all the services. Plus, Sar, who I, I can't remember if we talked about this on the podcast or not, but I had written about uh, for the in the thing for the Athletic about Evan Daniels basically rating him as a recruit and saying he's a top twenty player in this class. He's a five-star recruit in this class. I think we did talk about it, but um, if you add him in to the mix, Davion Mintz, uh, the Creighton grad transfer is a guy that yeah. Evan thinks of as a top 75, maybe even top 50 uh, recruit himself. So that's, if you, if you look at it that way, like they're recruits, not to mention Jacob Toppin, who's kind of a long-term bet that he physically blossoms like his brother Obi, but that's at, that's at least eight top you know 50 60 guy, caliber guys and you know maybe as many as five five star caliber guys um top 25 guys coming in in one class so when you you lost you lost a lot and uh we talk about that with keon brooks being the one guy that came back uh wrote about him today but that that's a lot of talent coming in if if they can figure out a way to get them here sooner rather than later and to start integrating them if they get sar uh, the waiver, I mean, talent-wise, just on paper talent, Kentucky is still going to have one of the, what, three, four, maybe one or two best team, you know, most talent, raw talented teams in the country. Yeah. Yeah, one of the best rosters in the country, yeah. without a doubt. And we'll talk about the lone returnee, or the, the only one who played any minutes last season, Keon Brooks when we come back here on Locked On Kentucky. This is Locked On Kentucky, your team every day. All right, we're back here on Locked On Kentucky. And Kyle, you did an article on Keon Brooks uh, for The Athletic, and you talked to Keon Brooks' dad, and some interesting stuff there uh, from him. And pretty much it was Calipari's told him, uh, love what you did last season and how you handled yourself. And next season, we need you to step up and be the guy, be the leader, uh, and do a lot for us. Yeah, I think, you know, there have been a few times where they lost a bunch and, you know, had just one or two guys coming back who had even really a chance to lead, you know, were good enough to lead. And Cal reached out to immediately and stayed in contact the whole offseason, kind of pumping them up with that message you know one that really sticks out to me was after the 2015 season when he you reached out to Tyler Ulis and said all right this is your team I'll, I'll go find some guys to put around you and we'll let's do this thing 
and yeah. frankly, you know, he had to he really piecemealed that class. You know, he he pulled Jamal Murray out of his rear end at the last, you know, at the eleventh hour, getting him to reclassify and beating out Oregon for him. Yeah. Um and and to that end uh, formed with Isaiah Briscoe, Tyler Eulis, and Jamal Murray, you know, the best, most talented backcourt in the country. They just didn't have a big man. They thought they did. They had, they had the number two player in the country in Scalabissier. He just didn't pan out. Uh, you know, Cal thought he had put together a team that could make a run at it again. If they just had a big man that next year with Tyler and those guys, I mean, Tyler did his part. Uh, Tyler Eulis, Cal tabbed him and said, look, it's going to be your team now. Lead these guys, and he did. He was SEC Player of the Year. He was SEC Defensive Player of the Year as a five foot eight guy. Um, yeah. You know, he and Murray were great. Uh, they just didn't have a big man. This is similar in terms of you know one of the things that I included in this Keon Brooks story. Uh, talked for a long time to his dad, and there's some really good stuff from his dad in there. But I also went through and looked at returning minutes under Calipari, and this is now going to be the fewest returning minutes ever under Calipari at Kentucky. And, you know, I would note that the, you know, maybe not shockingly, the three most returning minutes, the three seasons that he had the most minutes back from the year before, uh, turned out to be his three best teams. Uh, yeah. 2014-15, obviously, they had the most minutes back because all those guys came back that were freshmen and, and made that run to the national championship game. The Harrison twins, Willie, Alex, those guys. That was the most returning experience they've ever had uh, under Cal Perry, and they went 38-1. They had uh, almost 4,500 returning minutes, Patrick Patterson, Perry Stevenson, Darius Miller, DeAndre Liggins, all those guys who came back uh, Cal's first year. Um, you know, everybody thinks about John Wall and, and DeMarcus Cousins and that great recruiting class, but he also had a, a actually a pretty solid – I mean, Patrick Patterson and Darius Miller, those are good players. Yeah. Perry Stevenson played a ton. Uh, Darnell those guys Dotson came back. Yeah, time. those got well. Dotson was a, uh, a he was transfer. a JUCO guy. JUCO yeah. guy. Yeah, but um, so 2010 they go 35 and three. I mean that you could argue that was maybe Calvary's best team. They didn't go to the Final Four, but really good team. And then 2011 12, Terrence Jones comes back. Darius Miller comes back. Deron Lamb comes back. That's almost uh, 3,800 minutes back, and they win the national title. So the three most returning minutes. Uh, under Cal, three years that he had the most returning minutes were his three best teams. And on th- and this year, with Keon being the only guy who played coming back, 469 minutes returning, will be just the third time under Cal that they've had less or fewer than 1,000 returning minutes. And one of them was 2018. Uh, the returners were Winyan Gabriel, Scott, Sasha Clea Jones, and Ty Winyard, and they lost in the Sweet 16. And the yep. other was 2012-13. Kyle Wilcher, Jared Polson, Twani Beckham, and they lost in the first round of the NIT. So when yeah. you look at the top of that list, most minutes, best teams. Bottom of that list, fewest minutes, worst teams of the Calipari era. Um, and that Tyler Eulis team was, I think, what, fourth, the fourth fewest minutes that have come back, and they lost in the second round of the NCAA tournament. So yeah. all of Cal's worst teams are at the bottom of that list. Um, it's not great news when you you know when you're um, trying to reload every year and you have almost no experience back. So that, to me, that makes Keon Brooks like if you only got one, uh, yeah. and and maybe you can count De- uh, Dante Allen, and and it would be great for them if he contributes something. But I think Keon Brooks 
has to be really good next year. He has to be ready to lead in some way. He has to be ready to make a major jump uh, as a player. And it sounds like he's got the right mentality. His dad does. I thought that was the most impressive thing in talking to his dad was he talked about they never considered transferring. They never thought really thought about you know turning pro, even though you go, why would he? He only averaged four points a game. Well, look at all the guys at Kentucky that had no business going pro and did anyway. Um, he said none of those things considered their crossed their minds because they came to Kentucky with a plan. They chose the hard path, you know, at Kentucky playing with a lot of great players. They chose to go to a place where maybe you're not ready in one year, but the staff will push you in the second and the third year if if need be um, to where you don't just go pro, but you can make it and have a career as a pro. I thought that was all really some all, you know, really mature stuff. Um, and, and I think everybody could see and his dad confirmed they got a huge amount of confidence from the way that season ended, not just in the way Keon played, but in the way Calipari trusted him and went to him and drew up the last play for him. Uh, even though he didn't make that shot, he, EJ tipped it back in. That all, I think, has sent Keon Brooks into the offseason with the mentality like, I'm good enough. I can take a bigger role next year. You know, let's do this. Yeah, and another point you made when you were talking about the teams with the most experience, they also, every one of them, John Wall, Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, had a number one overall draft pick on it. This team that Kentucky has is not going to have that experience, obviously, but it feels different than uh, the teams that had the least experience, the 2013, the 2018. I mean, you didn't have like an Olivier Saar who's already – has several seasons under his belt in the ACC, a comparable conference, maybe even a better conference than the SEC, and made, I think it was third team all ACC. And Davion Mintz, a graduate transfer, that kind of experience. Uh, I think they had Julius Mays on that 2013 team, maybe. Yep. uh, With that kind of experience. Um, I think what Mintz uh, did at Creighton, uh, is at a higher level than what Julius Mays had then. Right, and State then on is top- not. Yeah, Wright State's not Creighton. Yeah, uh, and it's certainly not the ACC and Wake Forest. Uh, I, these these are higher level transfers for sure. And then you have two top ten recruits. And if you're talking about a possible potential number one overall draft pick, uh, Cade Cunningham is the number one player in the class. He's going to Oklahoma State. Uh, Evelyn Evan Mobley, the seven footer, is going to Southern Cal, third best player, and then it's BJ Boston. I mean, there's a chance that Terrence Clark or BJ Boston uh, winds up being the best player in the country next season and could play themselves into a number one pick. I mean, that potential is there for. Yeah, and I don't even think that has to. Yeah, I don't even think it has to be that you're the number one pick. It's just that you're in the conversation. If you're a top five, you know, he's a top five player, BJ Boston. If you're a top five pick, you were an elite guy who, you know, was a game changing type player. That's what you got to have. If you're, you know, if you're reloading with freshmen and you're expecting the freshmen to do some of the heavy lifting, you need at least one of them, if not two of them to be super high end guys. I mean, that 20, that first Calipari team had two top five picks in wall and cousins 2012 had the number one and number two pick in Davis uh, and Kid Gilchrist. And um, in 2015, you had number one pick Carl Towns. You had, what, three more lottery picks? Uh, Willie, 
went number six, so two top six picks, and then what Booker and Lyles Booker. both slipped into the yeah. both slipped into the lottery. So yeah, you you've got to have uh, you've got to have high high end guys when you reload like that, and Kentucky might. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Mintz, uh, let's say he wins the job, he wins the starting position, he's your point guard, and you've got B.J. Boston and, and Terrence Clark uh, on the wings. Those are two top ten guys. You got Saar in the middle, and you got Brooks at the four. And backing up in, in the front court is Isaiah Jackson, you know, number twenty six player in the class. Backing up the point guard is Devin Askew, the number thirty one player in the class. And then backing up the wings are Lance Ware and Cameron Fletcher and Dante Allen. I mean, that's, that is a, a team that you could see. I mean, that kind of talent on that roster that you could see having a much better season than 2013 or 2018. Like this yeah, could be I, the I, outlier of the amount of minutes coming back uh, that, could, that could kind of break through that, uh, that mold of having trouble. I mean, yeah. If you were gonna, if you were gonna put together a roster to have only one returning contributor and still be a high-level team that like can really actually legitimately dream about going to a Final Four, this is how you would construct it. You know, a number one class, two top ten re- recruits, you know, an All ACC transfer, you know, a longtime Big East starter, sort of steadying your backcourt. It's all there. The pieces are there. I, I think Kentucky definitely have, has the pieces now. It's just Will they come together fast enough if everything is kind of truncated, if we have a shortened season or a shortened offseason, which seems almost certain at this point, at least the offseason is going to be truncated. But kind of to your point, the ESPN way too early 2021 mock draft, uh, NBA mock draft, has B.J. Boston 8th and Terrence Clark 10th. If you got two top ten picks, you know, you're yeah you're you're in the mix. You've got you've got some guys that are in the mix and and can be game changers. Uh, speaking of the off season, one more thing uh, before we go, and I don't want to give away everything about your article. I mean, you should subscribe to the Athletic to read this good stuff. Heck yeah, uh, but yeah, you, you you mentioned that our Keon Brooks' dad says that Calipari is in contact with Brooks almost every day, and that he has access to a pri- to a to a gym uh, where he can work out. Like he, he can go and unlike, you know, so many other players that may just have a hoop in the backyard or something like he has access to a gym. He can work out every day and has been five days a week. Yeah. And, and he's been drinking protein shakes three times a day between all his meals, trying to keep that weight on and add a little weight. And so he's been lifting a couple days a week and, and doing basketball workouts two or three days a week. Um, and that's the thing that I think Kentucky has going for it. I don't know if uh, we didn't even mention this, but uh, there was a video posted the other day that uh, Devin Askew, uh, Terrence Clark, and uh, BJ, BJ Boston, Boston. Yeah. their you know their top three, basically their top three incoming freshmen, are all out working out together in California. Um, and Terrence Clark, by the way, is like shirtless and dunking in this video, and yeah. he looks like a ridiculous physical specimen. Like he, he looks taller than, I think he's listed as six, six maybe, but he Mm -hmm. looks, I mean, he looks like he's about six, eight and about 225 pounds in that, that video. Maybe it's misleading, but he looks like he's muscled up. Uh, He's staring down into the rim on one of those, I think catching a lob dunking in one of the uh, clips. Uh, BJ Boston has posted a bunch of videos working out early, early in the morning, getting a lot of shots up. He's got a great looking shot. 
Um, I think he's going to be a really good shooter for them, which is something that the team isn't super deep in, but I think BJ Boston's going to be their, their primary outside shooter. And I think they'll be just fine with that. Um, so that's, I mean, one, it's good that all those guys are even, even if it was separately getting real work and training in right now, but it's especially good that they're able to get it in together, assuming they all stay healthy and don't, uh, infect each other. Um, but when you've got that on out on the West Coast and you got Keon up back home in Indiana working out with private gyms and his dad's been his coach, sort of worked with him his whole life. So they're they're just continuing that work. Um, I mean, that's the best you can do. That's the best you can hope for right now when you can't be with your team and team facilities and with your coaches. You would just hope that they are all doing all the work they can. It seems like a bunch of these guys are. Yeah. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of Locked on Kentucky. We'll be back uh, planning on it on Wednesday with another uh, podcast, doing three a week now. When the season gets going, of course, we do it Monday through Friday, but for now, uh, three days a week. Uh, in the meantime, if you want us to talk about something or you got a question, hit us up on Twitter. I'm at D-R-I-E-F-F-E-R. Kyle is at Kyle Tucker underscore A-T-H. Thanks for listening, guys. Locked on Kentucky, available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or tell Alexa or Google to play podcast Locked On. Don't worry, I won't finish. You get the idea.